Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. Yeah, and the thing is that everything we go through, it's one good thing, you, if you're an entrepreneur, you keep this in mind. Every nightmare you go through, every year you go through, every season of plowing through things, remember this. If you're going to have a competitor wants to come behind you and knock you out, they've got to go through all of those same steps. It's just, those are steps that are not just for you to deal with, you know? And so as you go through it, you're in, in a better position to be able to talk to other people because they can spot if you're just giving answers out of the book. And this is why I do this have these conversations is because things will pop. You know, the one thing about it is you and I could say the same thing that somebody who is like a professor has never done anything but teach. And we can say the same words, but it will ring differently if I say it, if you say it, because we've lived it. You know, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And so uh, I wouldn't cut your emotion or your passion down too terribly much, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) because you're the one who actually is the guy doing it and not the coach. You know, with all respect for your coach, I would remind you, Kurt, you're the guy. Okay, you're the talent. (laughs) Well, that's true. I know my speaking fee and I know his speaking fee as well. And it's way more than mine. Uh, okay. Well, then he does, then he is worth listening to. But yeah. uh, talk to me about something you tossed off. And a lot of times, you know, we don't think much of this stuff because this just doesn't seem that big of a deal does. But you talked about going out of Vanderbilt and you started an e commerce company that did well and went on for years. How did you start an e commerce right going out of college? How did you go about that? Well, I didn't, I mean, I knew how to program from an early age. So that thanks to my parents getting me some computers and, and being old enough that while you could buy video games, it was actually more cost effective, more likely you bought the books and you had to actually write out the code yourself from uh-huh. the book. But my brother and I had ideas where we wanted to go start a uh, company selling swords, knives, and martial arts equipment. Uh-huh. And so not the typical e-commerce business that a lot of people talk about. Right. And I started looking, was there anything off the shelf that we could buy to kind of run that shopping business? And there was nothing that I liked. And so that was part of me deciding to drop out was in my evenings while you know my friends went to sleep, I started coding out something myself. So I built our initial e-commerce system that we ended up launching with that we actually used for quite a number of years before you know kind of the markets available software became good enough for us. And so you, they would buy directly from you and your platform rather than go and get it from Amazon or some other retail. Yeah, Amazon didn't exist, but you might have gone no. to Walmart and bought a, no. a pocket knife or a hunting store or something yeah. and uh, Bass Pro Shops. Instead, you could have come to them. It was originally called PJ's Online, named after my sister-in-law, Patty Jean, before we rebranded it. But it was also pretty fun at the time because I was able to like, I went to Alabama and people were like, well, what do you do? And I was like, I sell swords. Like, that's kind of a fun thing when you're still in college. Like, right. on a katana, I can get you one wholesale. And yeah. people have no idea how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get them? 
my brother knew that was some of what he wanted to sell. And I was like, well, I can do the technology and marketing side of it and running uh-huh. the operations. And so he started wholesale relationships to, to acquire the inventory and then uh, source things. And it was also my earliest stage of realizing what I do not do well. And so I like I was really good at technology. I could come in, we had some brick and mortar stores, and I could redo this the systems at the stores and and how things were sold. What I was not good at was picking inventory for that market. My brother could pick inventory and I'd be like, there's no way this, this is gonna sell. And I think when you have a seven-figure business with family, like you have to allow like the other one to just go, hey, this is kind of my one or two decisions a year that you don't argue with me about, Larry. And because that's how you can still stay family. And I remember my brother was like, we're going to buy a whole bunch of these. They were a knife from a replica of a movie called Chronicles of Riddick back in the day. And I was like, this is stupid. Like, nobody's going to buy these. And he sold out of them in like 60 days. And it was a big order too. And that was my decision. I was like, I am not good at buying retail inventory, at least for for where that that company was going. I was going to focus on what I did well, and but all of that was me starting to figure out technology. And I would now I realize I'm good at scaling. It wasn't until I got to that company we mentioned, Navtech, and I stumbled into what basically ended up being a management consulting job. I mean, you think about this was mapping and spatial data. Google Maps is everywhere now. Yeah. This company is still bigger than Google Maps are globally, and Think about all the companies that this was like from 2000 to about 2010. That was when car navigation systems were just starting. Cell phones didn't really start from a data perspective. And so I would walk out of a meeting with Siemens VDO. And walk, that makes the navigation system for Lexus. Walk into FedEx Logistics and then walk into Microsoft Video Games. And like, then things kind of started to put together because I had people that just poured into me and told me, they gave me advice when I didn't deserve to get their advice. Well, let's talk about... Building and running is one of these bullet points they have that you've uh, built and run businesses from startup and to as much as over 500 million annual revenue. Now, we both know most new businesses belly flop and uh, usually they run out of money before they get traction or able to uh ramp up and get basically plane gets off the ground you know they hit the trees at the end of the runway or they they're able to clear it and and uh, survive and uh, when you started your you had to learn something about marketing when you were starting the sword business of all things and uh before there wasn't a whole lot of online uh sales and things like that so we can all remember back to when they said, you know, well, people actually buy Christmas presents online, you know, right. <laughs> and now there's almost no reason to have retail stores, not entirely, but it's flipped. And so you're back there. You've got a platform. Nobody knows about it. You've got swords. You're all fired up about it. You, I guess you got some inventory or you got your suppliers already. How did you get the word out? that you had something unique. Where did you go for marketing back then? There's not to devalue the the people that come up with the brand idea. The message is hard work to do. But back then, and more so today, it is about testing things, testing a bunch of different marketing messages, seeing what works, and then just doubling down. And so I remember early on, I had a good friend of mine named Matt Clank. And uh, he and I were kind of the marketing department at the time. And so we probably had a few too many beers and we just started making up good ideas, bad ideas. We didn't know which ones were which. And 
It was like, well, how much money do we have to test? And so there was some online advertising. Banner ads were getting started. And so I don't remember how much. We might have put five grand into a variety of different messages online. We probably put 50 grand into different print ads just to test small copy. And things like Soldier of Fortune magazine, Field and Stream, and like the back when the magazine with all these like pages of ads. And just to see what worked. And we had a bunch of different URLs people click through and we could track it. And I didn't realize at the time that I was learning and stumbling through A-B testing. Like right. the difference between a good idea or a bad idea, like there, people that come with the brand message is hard. Critical people that deal with messaging to when there's crisis going on, horribly difficult job. But the best marketing for me has always been really not any different than mathematics or systems thinking in law or systems thinking for software. You test, you see what works, and then you add more budget. It's all controlled risk. For those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast, I've got something especially for you. I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compress them into a free webinar. That's right. It's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million dollar earners, register now at widelonwinning.com. You'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. Yeah, all controlled risk and there's no escape. And the thing is, nobody's, it's like investing in the stock market. No one's going to come up with a formula that works all the time. And uh, they can come up with formulas that work when the market is exactly like this and the, the planets are in alignment. And then, and that thing, this that software program you've got that you're teaching thousands of people, then it will work this, 4X or whatever. They, they've got all these names, but you've got to get in and try it and respond to the real world. Reality is the greatest teacher, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. And I didn't realize at the time we were testing marketing and then just by nature, like in that business, and I do this much more in software industries now, there's a place where you sell features and value in the product. But I stumbled onto, before there was a name for it, I stumbled into influencer marketing. I ended up building an influencer marketing platform later, but it's like, there comes a place where like you do banner ads and you do click through ads, but there comes a place where it's like, do you want to sell the camping knife? and hatchet that somebody uses going out in the woods? Or do you want to tell the story of the people who were using that when they went out with their sons and daughters for the weekend and it was a memorable event? We started telling those stories and we went from selling a little to selling a lot because we didn't realize back in the day, like this was before Facebook and everything, but we would share that story and we would send out an email to past customers. And the the people that got that we told their stories went and told a hundred of their friends. Wow. Like, they're talking about my story when I went camping with my daughter last weekend. And I was like, and then we would watch sales go up and we're like, well, we should do more of that. What other stories do we have from people? Right. And what is the, how would you describe an influencer platform? Well, from an influencer platform, they come in many different phases. So a lot of people think about influencers and they think about celebrities. Can I get Kevin Costner or Kim Kardashian to talk about my product? And they're influencers, but for me, that's not any real different than advertising. Like, does Kim Kardashian actually care about a product that she's talking about? Somebody's paying her to do that. Now, it's different if maybe they've made their own product. 
for me, like, and there are places where you have a celebrity and you luck out and do they just love your product? And they just talk about this is the best coffee mug I've ever had. For me, in, and what we built was to go out that long tail. In marketing and advertising, people often look for, hey, you don't want to rank for real estate. You want to rank for luxury cabins in Blairsville, Georgia. That's a long tail phrase. And so I went there and I was like, how do I find the people that, like my Aunt Bobby, she lives in a small town in North Alabama. She has 200 friends on Facebook. Well, when she talks about a product or a restaurant, it may not be as big of an audience, but the impact, the influence she has over friends and family is so much stronger. And so yeah. we were like, how do we find people like my aunt or people that maybe even have 50,000 friends on, on different platforms? And how do we engage them for products they already love to help them share messaging for things that they already love and maybe are fans? So one of the things we did was, hey, give me your email list, Larry, and I'll run it against some software that lets me go and find everybody's social media platforms. So your email list of past customers, and I could go, whether it's on B2C or B2B, and go, well, of the 10,000 people you gave me, here's the 500 that have real audiences on social media. Ah. Well, then you get to choose how you follow up. Do you want to do a giveaway with them or do you start picking the phone and calling them and go, hey, can I, you do camping? I see you bought a product. Can I send you something new? Yeah. Very interesting. And so you learn these lessons and talk about taking a business. What is the thinking you have in your mind when you start a business? And you want to go big with it. And what are things that we're going to play to play to win here? And right from the beginning, we're going to say, because that's the way I like to do I like to do things, because to me, here's the way I think, or there's 24 hours of the day. Whatever I'm doing, whatever it is I'm doing, somebody's going to be the fast, at the end of the year, I don't know who's number one. I don't know where number one is, but, you know, if it's a global thing. But I know somebody is going to be number one in that industry, in that whatever, this year in that category, and they got 24 hours in the day. I've got 24 hours in the day. Why can't I, why can't that be me? You know, it's just kind of like, stop making excuses. Why can't you be one of the fast growing people in whatever it is you're working in? And so when you start a business with in mind of making a big impact, doing something big, this is significant. You're recruiting people to something that can move the world a little bit. How do you start that up and how do you go about setting things up for big time, scalable type success like that? Yeah, I think when you're starting or if you have something that's already running and it's a 50 or $100 million company, it does come down to hiring. And too many people, they end up hiring for the pure skills that they're looking for right then. And they're missing hiring for, they say they're hiring for culture. What they usually mean is they're hiring for people that they'd want to go have dinner with, that they want to be friends with. I hire for culture, but I don't actually care whether or not the people I hire, would we be friends after hours? What I'm looking for is, do they have cultural attributes that I don't want everyone to hear? Do you work well with people, Larry? What I want to see, I want to hear from you and I want to hear stories that says, Here's how I show up. Here's things that you would see who I am culturally by my actions. And so I I think, especially early on, or if you're a $50 million company, how do I become a $500 million company? You need to hire people that have a bias towards action. You need to hire people that, like in every job description, I say, I'm hiring people that believe in healthy conflict. That's a scary word today, conflict. 
But there's no way to not have conflict. I mean, you know as well as I do. If you want to not have conflict, you need to not ever talk to another person again. If yeah. we try figuring out where we want to go to dinner, well, we can either talk about it before we get on the road, or if you really want Italian and I really want barbecue, well, we can wait till we get in the parking lot of one of our places and then be like, well, why are we here? Like, that's maybe not healthy conflict. So I want to hire people that want to bring up problems early on and then have those in a healthy discussion. And when you hire people with certain traits that it can be represented in actions, there are always roles where you have to have certain skills. A software engineer that knows Ruby on Rails, you can't hire somebody that doesn't. A lawyer, an accountant. But for most roles, I've been some of the most successful sales organizations. I hire somebody who was a former CTO and I put them in a sales role because they show up, they know how to lead people. And so I'm looking for good athletes much more than specific roles at the time. Because especially early on, you're going to have to do a lot of things. And I'm not looking for people to just show up for 40 or 45 hours a week. I'm wanting people to show up to war with me. Yeah. And so when you start a company, there's you don't hire 30, 40, 50 people all at once. You, right. One of the things about creating a really solid culture is you grow your team organically. And that means you're starting small and then adding people to the mix. But your first people really set the standard, the pace, the style that everybody else falls into. And so that's why it's so important to get those people on board. And what do you think you look for, how you've gone about that? Because you've obviously done it successfully. What do you think would allow you to be successful in that? I think for me, it starts what jumps out is where I haven't been successful, where I've made bad hires early on or where I've been brought into companies after they've been going for a while and we sometimes have to clean house. And so like in my case, I often early on, you want growth so bad. And so like I look back at times and like one of the first heads of sales I hired for a SaaS-based company, somebody I knew, somebody I was in community with and was just a killer salesperson. I mean, by far the top salesperson at this big company he was at. But I knew that I knew that they didn't have the ethics that I wanted at the company, but they were going to help me hit my numbers. And so I think early on, to your point, those critical hires are so important. Often we will look past things that if you didn't have to worry about hitting your numbers like early on, you'd be like, I'm not going to hire that person. And it usually ends up coming back to, does that person have the morals? Would you trust them with your checkbook if you had to just leave the country all of a sudden and just like, here? deal with my family, take care of things for me. And I look back at my own decisions and it's less of, I think if you have the right people with the right moral ethic, you will find success in there or they will self-select out. When you're very clear about what needs to be done, they will tell you if they're the right person or the wrong person to stay in the seat that they're in. But the person that doesn't have the ethics, they just want that paycheck at the end of the day. Yeah. They'll sell a customer no matter what. If they're on the product side, they'll promise features that they know they can never deliver. Yeah. And early on, both myself, if I look at the past, and so many companies where I get brought in, I'm like, I don't know how you got to $100 million in sale, but when we look back about all the problems, you got these three leaders and they need to go. And yeah. they look back over time and they're like, I probably shouldn't have hired that person now. I might be at 200 million if I wouldn't have. They were great early on, but they end up right. cutting cutting corners later on. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. 
Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.